0: exciting stuff. Having a bat- our first Kozad baptism, isn't that cool? Hopefully there's hundreds more. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're with us. If you're online with us, we're glad you're with us. Just pay attention. This is going to be an exciting finish to our series Crazy Like Us and and uh, you know, the goth if you if you've been around for a while, some of you have been a part of the crossing for, you know, over a decade and you understand that crazy is a word that describes the crossing Fairly well, right? You know, we're having a marriage comedy date night, February uh, 22nd, and if you haven't registered for that, you can go to the Church Center app and register for that, but, you know, we're, we're going to get together, watch some fun Christian comedy, we're going to have a little dance, have some great food, so we're crazy, you know? So we ought to have a crazy hat contest or something on that night. I don't know. But this morning, we're wrapping up our series, Crazy Like... Us. And in this series, we have been contrasting the idea of giving, which all of us do, and this crazy idea of being generous. I mean, all of you give. Everybody gives. Everybody in America gives, but we don't completely understand, and what we miss is this big idea of generosity. Giving and generosity are two very different things. Most people don't know how to be generous myself included. They know how to give. They know how to respond to a need, but they don't understand a life that's built around generosity. Listen, everybody gives something to someone somewhere, and that can actually mask the reality that even though we know how to give, we don't know how to be generous. Because as we've stated throughout this series, Generosity is more than just random acts of giving. Now, random acts of giving are good, they're great, do them and do them often. But random acts of giving do not equate with a life that is built around generosity. At the very beginning of this series, we made you a promise, and I want to give you that promise one more time. Here it is. When you become generous, you will give more, you will save more, and you will consume less. But Jesus makes an even better promise. Jesus said that people who orient their lives around generosity, not just people who give randomly, but people who build and organize and reorient their lives around generosity are actually happier. Did you hear that? And you're like, really? If I give my money away, I'll be happier? Yes. Now, last week, we said to most people in America, we... We worry, and we worry, and we worry, and we worry, and we worry about money. Am I going to have enough money to retire on when my kids go to college? Am I going to be able to buy that new car because my car has 300,000 miles on it? Or am I going to be able to own a home? Can I even afford to get married? And we worry, and we worry, and we worry, and then we do the craziest thing imaginable. We spend everything we make, or we spend more than we make and then we have debt, and then we don't have any margin in our lives, which causes us to have even more worry, and because we're worried, we spend more, and then we have more debt, and we have absolutely no margin, which leads us to worry and worry and worry and worry round and round and round we go like a hamster in a hamster wheel. That is a crazy, vicious cycle. So we get worried, so we want to relieve our stress, so we go to the mall or we jump on Amazon for some retail therapy. Anybody guilty of retail therapy? (laughs) And that relieves our worries for a little while. And then we end up spending more than we make, so we create more debt. And then we don't have any margin to breathe, so we begin to worry. We get back on Amazon, and round and round and round and round and round and round, and round we go. So consequently, we begin to worry about our future consumption, like what am I going to do at Christmas so we Because we consume more than we can afford, and we carry consumer debt, which is crazy, by the way and we don't have any margin for future consumption. So then we worry about our new future consumption, and round and round and round we go, whoo, and we convince ourselves that we have a money problem, right? We have a money problem. Now, listen to this. 95% of those that are sitting in this room right now who worry about money, you do not have a money problem. We have a self-control problem, or we have a contentment problem, or we have a discipline problem, or all three. Now, Jesus would say you have a spiritual problem. Why? Because if you're worried, it's because you place your trust in riches rather than him who richly provides. And it's absolutely crazy the way we view money. It's crazy that because we become people who are, see ourselves as either owners or consumers. But Jesus says there's a very different way to live, and that's the way of generosity, where you begin to view the world through a different lens, the lens of generosity, the lens of being generous. Because generous people, and this is where we left off last week, generous people do not assume that it's theirs to consume that's the shift in thinking that will make all the difference in the world. Generous people do not assume that it's all for them to consume. They have rejected the consumption assumption. And what's the consumption assumption? If it comes to me, it must be for me. If it comes to me, it must be for me. And this is the way I live the majority of my adult life. My thinking was this. I have busted my butt 60 hours a week to make this cash, so I want to enjoy it. You know, I would even skip monthly bills in order for me and Tanya to have money to play with because I thought going to a movie and going out to dinner was more important than making my car payment. That's the consumption assumption. But Jesus teaches, no, if it comes to you, it may not be for you. And if you assume it is for you, you will live your entire life like an owner or a consumer. And so Jesus would say, you're better than that. I didn't design you for that. Ownership and being a consumer, they both lead to the very same place, and that's discontentment. No matter how new and shiny it is today, there is something newer and shinier waiting for you around the corner, right? As soon as Tanya and I bought our 2022 Nissan Murano, we'd be driving around and Tanya'd be like, I like that SUV. I'm like, we just got this one. But we do that, don't we? Newer, and shinier, newer and shinier. Living like a consumer, living with the assumption it's all for you and all for your consumption, no matter how much money you make or no matter how how much money you have in the bank, you will always be on the brink of discontentment, which drives this cycle round and round and round and round. Now, you can break this cycle of insanity by reordering and rethinking your finances. You can break out of the cycle, but not by making more money. We think that's the answer. As we said last week, if you get a 10% or a 20% raise, you would just stay in this cycle with just 10% or 20% more money. The only way out of this cycle is to rethink your finances and to rethink your generosity. You see, generosity is the off-ramp. You're on this spend-and-spend highway with no end in sight, when suddenly you see this off-ramp, a way to escape the spend-and-spend highway, generosity is that off-ramp. And you rethink and you reorder your life around generosity rather than consumption. That was a recap of the last two weeks. And last week, we promised some very practical steps. We like practical steps. Tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I'm tired of going in circles. Well, let me show you how that works. And to do that, we're going to have to go back to our definition that we've used over the last two weeks. Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. Isn't that a fantastic definition? So we want to start with this word right here premeditated premeditated now some of you when you hear the word premeditated the first thing that pops in your mind is murder that's another sermon for another day that john's going to preach in order to be generous you have to have a plan and some of you say, I'm not a planner. My wife's a planner. John's always talking about how Sharia is a fantastic planner. He doesn't have to worry about it. She takes care of it. If he buys a Babe Ruth candy bar, she knows about it, right? So Yes, she's agreeing, see? And she, when he comes home, she's like, you bought a candy bar today, didn't you? Is that in our budget? No, just kidding. Or my husband's a planner, and he's always wanting me to sit down with him and look at his plan. So I want to say something to all of you out there that are non planners, okay? You have a plan. You just don't know it. You have some established financial habits. And if you have financial habits, you have a plan. You've just never written it down. You don't know it. In other words, somebody could follow you around all week long Look at all your financial habits, put them in order and say, did you know that this was your plan? And you be like, eh, well, no, but that is what I do. Everybody has a plan. Most of us just have a bad plan. Proverbs 21, 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead, or the plans of those who plan, lead surely to abundance. If you don't know what your plan is, it's probably a bad plan because if you ever, ever, ever drifted in a good direction, you plan toward what's good, you drift toward what's bad. If you don't have a plan, then things probably aren't as good as you think they are financially because we have financial habits and those financial habits, they are your plan. You are working a plan. If you're somebody who lives with the assumption that it's all for your consumption, that is your plan. And here it is. Consume it, save if I can, give what's left over. That's some of our plans. Or it's consume it and save if I can. Or it's just consume it. That's your plan. Consume it save as I can, give what's left over. And that plan, that lacks self-control. That lacks discipline. Your plan is consume everything, try to save, give what's left over, and it makes you a 3S giver, spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparingly. And if someone guilts me enough, or if I'm inspired, or if I go to a fundraiser, or if a kid from Gothenburg High School knocks on my door selling very, very, very overpriced candy, I can do that. Spontaneous, sporadic, kind of here, kind of there. And you think, man, boy, man, I wish I could give more. But there's no plan. Generous people have a plan, and they know what their plan is. Now, let me be very transparent here. Because I do not want you thinking that I am a financial guru. I'm not. Up until 2020, that was just yesterday, right? Up until 2020, that was my plan. If I couldn't afford something, it went on plastic. If I wanted a new car, I would trade him another car and just get deeper in debt with the next car or the next car or the next truck or Whatever. My plan was, hey, Christmas is six months away. I don't have any savings. How are we going to do Christmas, Tanya? I don't know. MasterCard, that's how we do Christmas. Because my kids and my grandkids, they deserve a great, great Christmas. And, my, and Papa Mimi, we're going to provide it for them. And if that means putting it on MasterCard, Visa, Discover, I'm going to do that. And that's what we did for years and years and years and years and years. We've been married 31 years, so for 28 of those years, that was our plan because we thought that was the only way to live. Now, listen, I'm going to be very transparent because I want some of you who are in the same dilemma that I'm in to hear me. In 2020, Tanya and I had $50,000 on credit cards. Not including our car payment. Not including doctor bills. Our debt was over $100,000 in consumer debt. We were on that cycle. We were hamsters in the wheel. And I didn't know what to do about it. I said, that's just the way life has got to be. And some of you think that too. Some of you think that that cycle... That's the only way to live. And Tanya, every Christmas we worried, didn't we? What are we going to do? How are we going to buy gifts? Credit card. And stinking Amazon has a unlimited credit card that you can use. Unlimited. So I owed them unlimited amounts of money. This is dangerous to be able to click and it comes to your house. That's dangerous. But that's what we did. Tanya and I decided to take financial peace. Ed and Jill Albrecht led it. We were the only people in the class, just me and Tanya. I'm glad because it was embarrassing to admit we had that much debt. And they gave us a plan, and the plan didn't make any stinking sense to me at all. I was, it just made more sense just putting everything on a cart. Because I'm never, ever, ever going to get out of this hole. Ever. I was this deep, probably this deep, to be honest. And we started working the plan. And it was scary. Because I still worried. I was still going in circles. But I want you to hear me. Because I want to encourage you. It's 2023. And Tanya and I are debt free. Now. You have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you will end up in a hole like me. Some of you are sitting out there and your credit card debt is just like that and you think there's no way out, and there is. Now, the only thing that financial peace did not teach me that we're learning through this series is generosity. You know what I learned from week one and two? I was like, right now, even though we're debt-free, we're still living... Pretty close, paycheck to paycheck. We have, a, we have an RA now, which we've never had before. Things are looking really good. And I was like, but I want to be generous. And so what I, I have a side hustle. I'm not going to tell you what the side hustle is. It's nothing illegal, I promise. But, and what I'm going to do with that side hustle is the money I make on that side hustle, that's my generosity fund. Because I want to live like this. I don't want to stand up here on this stage and tell you that there's a way to live and not do it myself, right? That would be hypocrisy, right? That's what a lot of people accuse preachers and Christians of, right? Hypocrisy, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. I don't want to be that person. We've never shared that story with anyone other than Ed and Jill. Because it was embarrassing. So you need a plan. And you got to work the plan. That's the premeditated part. The next word is calculated. Calculated means you need to decide ahead of time how much you're going to give. Choosing a percentage is the best way to go here because the more you make, the more you're able to give. Generous people think in percentages because they want to give more. And as their income goes up, guess what? They're able to give more because they're choosing a percentage to give. And the best way to do that is by just choosing a percentage. Not spontaneous, not sporadic, not sparingly, but calculated. Generous people give it before they consume it. You see, the key to generosity isn't just giving more. The key to generosity is having a plan. And here it is. This is different from the other plan, right? Give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, and you live on the rest. You're flipping that other plan upside down. And this makes you a, hmm, that's not right. Wow, where did it go? Whatever. There it is. It appeared magically. A 3P giver instead of a 3S giver. You're giving a percentage. It's a priority, and that means you give it first, And when you get paid, when you get your bonus, when you get tips, you're going to give it first as a priority, and then it's progressive. And here's what I mean by that. You decide, I want to be generous, but it scares me to death, so I'm going to start with a small percentage, like 2% or 3%. And over time, as you can bump up your percentage, so you become generous by choosing a percentage, giving it first, you put it at the top of the list instead of the bottom of the list, and over time, you increase it. So you give a percentage Giving is a priority, and giving is progressive. So now you have yourself a plan, and then you're going to decide how much and how often. And and listen, this is the fun part. You've been waiting for the fun part, right? Some of you are like, there ain't nothing fun about this. Here it is, I hope. Your generosity is designated. You're like, well, how's that fun? Because you get to choose ahead of time where your money's going, The reason some of you don't like to give because people are always knocking on your door and asking for money or they're begging you for money. Now, generous people don't feel guilty saying no because they've already chosen where their money is going. And this is what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is brilliant. Where your treasure is, your heart is, which means wherever you're sending your money, part of your heart is there. It also means that if you would like to change where your heart is, then change the direction of your money, it goes both ways. So this is how you put the fun in funding. This is how you bring a sense of feeling to your finances. And this is how you connect your money to your heart. You pre-decide where you're going to give. You have a plan. You have picked a percentage. You're giving it first. And you've decided ahead of time where you're going to give it. One way of thinking about this is this. Saving money is how you say yes to you and your family's future. Generosity is how you say yes to the things that are important to you. Now, we've all been in this situation. We've all become aware of something that really captures our heart. And then you think, man, I wish I could do more. And the reason you can't do more is because you don't have a plan not a money problem. It's a self-control problem. It's a debt problem. But you're about to become a generous person today. You really are. Hang with me. Here's how to choose where to give. Because all of you are like, well, where do I give? How do I, how do I designate it? Two things. You give from a grateful heart and you give from a broken heart. That's how you choose. You give from a grateful heart and you give from a broken heart. In other words, what are you grateful for? What are you broken? over. Decide ahead of time. I'm going to fund this thing or I'm going to fund that person that I'm grateful for and you should decide this ahead of time. I'm going to fund that organization or that thing or that person that addresses a need that breaks my heart. So you got a plan. You're going to pick a percentage. You're going to give it first and not last and you're going to decide ahead of time where it's going and this is why anybody who loves their local church should give to their local church. If you don't love your local church, go find a local church that you can be grateful for. When you get in the car on Sunday mornings and you're going to church and your kids are excited, or maybe they've rushed into your bedroom on Sunday morning and they're bouncing on the bed saying, hey, let's go to church, let's go to Kid Venture! I can't wait, come on, get up, get up, get up, get up. And you wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you're like, let's go to the cross. And now you get up and say, coffee first. But if your kids are excited about coming to Kid Venture, be grateful for your local church. But let me take it a step further, and you're going to think I'm crazy. Those of you that have kids in college, and they've left home, and they've moved to another city or even maybe another state, and while they're there, they get plugged into a local church, that is amazing. You should give to that local church. Why? Because you're grateful. Oh my gosh, my kids are actually going to church in college. I've never even been to that church. I don't even know what's going on there, but I'm grateful that my kid is going to church and they're out there making minimum wage somewhere at Burger King every once in a while. Just every once in a while, put it in your plan to support that local church because the statistics are horrifying. Most kids who graduate high school, John knows this, I know this, because we've been in youth ministry a long time. 85% of the kids who leave the local church and go to college never go back to church. So if your kid's going to church, you ought to be stinking grateful. But in addition to church, you should pick something that's a cause that you're all about. A charity that creates an emotion in you. A group that's doing something in the world. It may be something that's focused on a specific country, a neighborhood that you live in, a specific need, just find something outside of the local church that addresses your broken heart. Let me give you some examples. We have two Bible camps represented in the crossing that are doing kingdom work all year long, Camp Kamika and Maranatha Bible Camp. Thousands of adults and teens and kids have met Christ at these camps. My youngest son met Christ at Maranatha and surrendered his life to Jesus. I am grateful for Maranatha. Deborah's Legacy is providing amazing resources for women who are faced with poverty and homelessness. Heartbeat Ministries, organized by our own Deb Adams, is raising funds to see that mothers carry their babies to term. Now, those are some ministries that you can be grateful for. Well, what about this? Why don't you go down to Gothenburg Utilities and say, I know there are some people in Gothenburg who are struggling. Here's X amount of dollars. You apply it to whatever utility bill is needed. Or go buy a handful of gas cards from Quickstop. And just hand them out to people. That would blow somebody's mind. Or go to the school and put some money down on school lunches because there are kids who can't afford school lunches. Or buy some coffee for the teachers. Or go to the police station and give them some donuts. You know, whatever, right? I hope that stirred your mental juices a little bit. If every American would become generous like we're talking about, if every person in this room became generous like we're talking about, there's plenty of money to get it all done. But as long as we fool ourselves into thinking that we're generous because of our random acts of giving, then we're in trouble because generous people, they give to the things they're grateful for and they give to the things they have a broken heart for. They have a plan. In the first century the Apostle Paul was planting churches all over the Mediterranean rim. And these churches were taught by Paul to collect funds to support the ministry. At the same time, the church in Jerusalem, the original church, was being sorely persecuted and the Jesus followers couldn't get jobs. They were outcast from society because their weird new religion and they were outlawed and they were impoverished. So Paul realized, these churches that I planted, they have as much or more than they need, and they need to do something for the church in Jerusalem that's in need. And the Christians were very grateful for the Christians in Jerusalem because they were brokenhearted over the plight. They were brokenhearted over their suffering. So the Apostle Paul writes in one of his letters to the church in Corinth how to deal with this whole money collection thing. And this is actually the very first activity as it's related to churches collecting money. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, this is interesting. Remember, there are no checking accounts. There's no PayPal. There's no Venmo. There's no mail. If you have money, you just keep it in a hole in the back of your house. So here's what he's saying to these Christians about supporting the church in Jerusalem. He says, on the first day of the week, every week, Set aside a sum of money. They have a plan. He's telling them you've got to have a plan, a premeditated plan, a calculated plan, a designated plan. So here's what he says. First day, each one of you set aside a sum of money. So every Sunday, he says, when you're starting your week, you look at how much money you have, and you take some of that money, and you set it aside. You put it in a jar, you put it in a wineskin, or you just dig a different hole and put it in there. It's, it's your savings hole. However, I thought you would laugh. However, they did that, you set it aside. Well, to which we would ask, well, how much? Well, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And what that little Greek phrase means is to whatever extent one has prospered, set aside that amount of money. So based on how grateful you are, based on how brokenhearted you are, set aside that sum of money, whatever's in accordance with your income. That's the New Testament pattern no amount is prescribed, no percentage is prescribed. How grateful are you? That's how you decide. How brokenhearted are you? That's how you decide. Then look what he says at the end. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is a powerful idea. No collections will have to be made. Here's what he's saying. When I get there, when I show up, no pressure. You've already collected the money, and you're not going to give your leftovers because you have premeditatedly saved it up. You have a plan. And Paul says, we're not even going to take a collection when we get there. You're going to have it all collected already because you have a plan. You have a premeditated, calculated, designated approach to giving because that's what generous people do. Pretty cool. Paul shows up. They give him a stack of money. All right, collected. He doesn't have to stand up and go, brothers and sisters, we're going to pass the plate today. Be generous. I mean you, Don. Be real generous. Right? You know, that's how we're used to it. But it's like Paul shows up. They just say, hey, look, we've been collecting some money. Here it is for the Jerusalem church. And all the churches did that. Galatians. Ephesus. Philippi, and so forth. All right, so you have a plan. How much, how often, you get to decide where it goes. You give to what you're grateful for, for what breaks your heart. It's so simple, I need to go over it again. You Ready? You have a plan. Pick a percentage, decide where it's going, and who gets it, and decide what you're grateful for and what breaks your heart. So that's what generosity is, the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. You give first, you save second, you consume the rest. It's the new crazy. It's the crazy where you give and you save and you live and you have peace. You give and you save and you live and you have peace. You give and you save and you live and you have peace. Not worry, peace. That's the new crazy. Barry, you mean you give before you consume? You give before you save? Yes, it's crazy. But it works. But it's a much better version than that crazy. What do you think? Ownership is a myth, and consumption is... And living with the consumption assumption brings you back to the same place. Empty and wanting more. So you have to choose your crazy. You can do this for the rest of your life if you want to. But this, this is much, much better. Let's pray. Father, we are going all in crazy for you. I know this is new, and this is upside down, and this is opposite of what culture teaches us, but, Lord, let's, let's, the crossing wants to get together and try this crazy plan, and, Lord, we know you'll honor it and bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.